Hey there, Internet. This is the Transatlantic Podcast. Welcome to another exciting episode. I am Luxander. I'm a genderqueer person from the United States, and my dear co-host will introduce herself. Hi, I'm Kat, and I am a binary trans woman from the UK. Woo! That's the gimmick. <laughs> yep, and it was clean this time. Yeah. It, it makes good. it more clean when you discuss how clean it is. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing can make it less clean. Uh, it's like when you know how good your segue the... is. Oh, yeah. It's a great segue. Uh, I just wanted to comment <laughs> before we get started that I've been watching uh, or listening to a lot of Hello Internet and just really enjoying myself. It's a good time. It is a good time. It's part it's the of the first inspiration time I've gotten for this show. Do you not listen to it before? Because we talked about it when we were making the podcast about like, yeah. the format. It's a good format. I had listened to a few episodes from the very beginning because I go on road trips a few times a year and the United States is big, so those are long road trips. So mm. my husband like played a couple of them. Yeah. Uh, and I enjoy it quite a lot. This is the first time that I've independently sought it out and been like, I'm just going to listen to this. And now I'm on episode, what is this? I, I was at the very end of episode 13. Oh, wow. You got a long way to go. Yeah, like, I, when I say I've just started, I mean, like, this was, like, yesterday. <laughs> oh, shit. Yeah. I mean, good luck. It's a good time. They're very good it boys, is. those two. Shout I did, out it to... Does mean that I, it doesn't mean that my... Sorry. <laughs> so, while okay. we're on there, I just wanted to mention that I was um, listening to their podcast um, while I was on the airport, and they did do playing Crash Corner when I was getting on the plane. <laughs> and I did have a moment of panic. <laughs> it's too bad That's that your all. name isn't Tim. I know. It's terrible. I, I thought that was so funny. Uh, I was talking to Deegan about it. Like, they call them the Tims, I guess, because there was a recent episode that they came up with a bunch of terms. Uh, the Tims did, like, Tim Foolery, which I thought was <laughs> delightful. Um, yeah. And then, you know, watching back the first few episodes, it's just a random thing. They just randomly, the first time they had uh, <laughs> uh, air, Airplane Crash Corner, whatever the shit it's called. Uh, oh. Yeah. They were just like, Tim, some random guy sitting in a, <laughs> an airport right now listening. <laughs> I mean, this is not my, it's really good. I mean, I'm glad it's not my dead name because that would be really awkward for like it a would. How recent, for like recently, Jeremy Corbyn keeps dead naming me recently and I really don't appreciate it. Jeremy Corbyn, if you're listening and I know you are, please stop. I know it's just because it. I signed up because someone signed me up to your mailing list with my old name, but I'd really appreciate if you stopped. <laughs> <laughs> Knock it off. It's not good. Yeah, Corbyn, come on. Cut it together. So, the actual thing that we're talking about today, not Hello Internet, is the movie Zootopia, which yes. is delightful. It is delightful. It's it's a lovely movie, um, starring um, Jason Batman, um, <laughs> that um, the woman who plays Snow White in Once Upon a Time, and as a as a okay. rabbit, um, Shakira is a goat, Idris Elba as uh, the police captain buffalo guy and jk simmons n- as mayor not j jonah lion sin <laughs> that was good i enjoyed that thank you thank you that's my imdb cast list i don't know cool people in this movie jennifer goodwin i just want to give credit where credit's due because i didn't actually know who this actress was uh, uh yeah i recognize her from once upon a time jennifer goodwin yeah mm-hmm. She's right. Jason Batman, you kind of fucked me up with that. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. No, it's okay. <laughs> I can't see his proper name anymore. Like I couldn't watch. I couldn't watch Ozark because be waiting for. I'd be waiting for him to just fucking get the cape on. Also, I just hear it's basically just Breaking Bad, which I'm not that interested in seeing again because it's already been done very well. 
That's fair. I never watched Breaking Bad. I was not a big... I just didn't care. Like, I don't know. It was it was during my phase where I was like, I don't want to watch drama television. And then uh, it just never happened. I binged it two years ago on Netflix. It means you didn't catch the Breaking Bad reference in Zootopia. No, I guess not, if there was one. Oh, there was. It was very good. <laughs> I mean, are you just talking about the... Okay, so but just... Spoilers, just right off the bat. Um... <laughs> Are you are you talking about the like little chemistry lab in the train car? There's and they're in the little chemistry lab with a yellow van with a yellow lab the yellow um hazmat suit on. And he turns mm-hmm. around and he says, um, well oh Tall and Walt and Jesse are here and that's the characters from Breaking Bad. Okay. I thought it yeah. was weird that they randomly named those characters. <laughs> it's intentional. Yeah. Everyone's intentional. Yeah. Seriously, though, uh, I think that this is especially true with animated movies, just as a general observation. Um, But it's true in all filmmaking, really, and anything that involves CGI, that everything is done very deliberately. So because of the fact that I cannot shut off my inner film critic anymore, uh, I was watching this movie and seeing a lot of little things that were like, that's very intentional, that's very deliberate. Like in a movie where you're fabricating the environment, the characters, like the only thing that you're using from the real world is the vocals. Like literally every choice that is made in every shot is deliberate, which is why there's, you know, so many Easter eggs in Pixar movies, you know, that you can have a continuous storyline of like, oh, they kind of fit together all in the same universe if you really look at it, Um, which I just think is really fascinating. And I have this like segment on my page that's kind of separate as I had like, a revelation while I was watching the movie this past oh, time. It's good, especially if you watched it. If you watched it for the first time, you might not pick up on so much of it, but every single line is sets up the story so well. Like, it's so well written. It's very, very tight. And, mm-hmm. like, when everything that Nick says basically sets up the latest story from the very mm-hmm. beginning. And, like, oh, everything's just so perfect about it. Like, I just love, like, even when they're at the... When they go to the... Sh- with the um, otters... Is it the otters? Sh- the weasel's shop. And he says, um, my name's Duke Weaselton. Um, which is a reference to Frozen with Duke Weselton, mm-hmm. who they all call Duke Weselton, and, um, and he's got all the it's voiced all by the Alan DVD- Tudyk. Oh yeah, and he's got he's got all the knockoff DVDs of all the Disney movies that just came out and are going to come out. So they have the Moana one and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. It's, oh, it's so Meowana. Good. Yeah. Do we want to just quickly sum up, like, do a quick plot summary of the movie before we continue? Because we've sort of already jumped, and that is my fault. But yeah, no, it's you okay. Do you do you want to offer, or can I? Yeah, please. Um, So the overall summary is uh, it's a a bunch of anthropomorphized animals, and our our protagonist of the story is Judy. She is a rabbit, and she moves from the country uh, to the big city to become a police officer because it's her dream. And she gets to be a police officer because of essentially affirmative action programs. And... (laughs) She faces a lot of discrimination, uh, like a lot of, not like open discrimination so much, but like microaggressions. And a lot of it is allegorical to race and a lot of it is allegorical to sexism. Um, And she meets this Fox character um, who is just delightful, um, I think. (laughs) And he's a, he's kind of a rascal, but he ends up helping her with an investigation to find a missing otter. And uh, they get into all kinds of, all kinds of trouble. And it's just a just really awesome movie. And it's basically, it uses this speciation and the predator versus prey classification to, and, and a lot of times I feel it sort of mixes its metaphors, but it's a way to portray real life sexism and racism. It, and it's just fascinating to me. I, I took 
what I feel is like a lot of notes <laughs> while I was watching yeah. it. I, d- I do agree that like it does mix his metaphors, but I think partially like it is kind of distinct in the way that Judy sort of is. You see the way that they treat her is sort of parallel to sexism, whereas Nick's definitely a racism thing, like and the way that they treat predators in general. Right. Yeah. I think that like I- I've described this movie as like if it were to have a human cast, it's essentially a, a white woman and a black man as the main two characters. It's yeah, kind of how it shakes out. Yeah. The whole thing's beautiful as well. Like, just <laughs> off the bat, like, the whole, the world is so fully realized. Everything's built properly. Like, all the animals have, like, different, like, sub suburban quarters of the city. They're all to their size. And mm-hmm. when they're going through at the beginning on, like, that little um, monorail, you can just ski, go through all the different environments. And it's, ah, oh, it's beautiful. Yeah, I really enjoyed that. The the kind of opening intro to the city's utopia yeah and the the music of course like i just love that song like so much i heard it with the shakira um, song yeah i actually don't like that version as much as the version i heard first which was the cover by home free which is an acapella group on youtube um Ah. they're pretty awesome i love them and yeah i like their cover of the song quite a bit so i was very familiar with it before i watched the movie and, uh, yeah, it's just an awesome backdrop to that montage of mm. Judy seeing the city for the first time and her kind of wonder and awe. Yeah. So that's neat. Yeah. Um, it's, a, it's a good base to build, like, to attract people in and then to deliver the social justice message once you're in there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It really it <laughs> is. It's very social justice-y, <laughs> which is why I love bit. it. Because I could take, uh, you know sociological notes on this like I had a lot to say about the movie but I didn't necessarily take notes on all of it because primarily I'm like okay I'm gonna look at this as like a feminist media criticism type thing yeah sure what was um, your what were your only big takeaways you got a lot of notes right <laughs> well I don't have a lot of like big takeaways necessarily I, I kind of should have like gone over this with my highlighter instead I listened to an episode <laughs> of hello internet um I just kind of have, like, notes as things popped up in the movie. Like, the one one really big thing that I noticed, not so much a takeaway, because I think that the movie wraps itself up too well to really have a takeaway. Sure. Um, Like, through the storyline, you know, Nick is treated in a very condescending way, is putting it nicely. Like, he's treated as untrustworthy and... He opens up about that, which I think, I, like, I wanted to make special note of that later. Um, mm. And then he ends up in this position of being trusted and helping to set something right. And then at the end of the movie, he ends up believing in himself enough to become a police officer, which I don't necessarily want to get into this thought that I have, that it's interesting as a philosophy that they end up um, supporting the systems that are necessarily perpetuating the inequalities that exist. Sure, but um, this is the problem with with watching a fantasy movie is that you can people can do these things. You yeah, have to think of the end. Of, I know oh, it's the police, and they're going to continue doing the same. Right. Thing. Yeah. I, so I kind of have to set that aside and just be like, okay, I'm not gonna go all fucking communist on this or whatever. Like, yeah. <laughs> um, so setting that aside. Uh, it really, it wraps itself up well because, like, Judy at the end is, I guess, giving a speech in front of a recently graduated class of officers. Yes. And, you know, it's it's just, like, a monologue about 
you know, you can do whatever you want to do, you can be whatever you want to be, ha-da-da, like, that is how the movie wraps itself up, so in that way, I don't really have any takeaways. However, this gigantic revelation that I had, actually, the the particulars of it weren't exactly right upon reflection, but it's okay. I realized that this movie has, like, done a very good job of covertly building in this class system between predators and prey. Like, they say multiple times throughout the movie that the ratio of the population within the city is about 90% to 10%, like, predators are in the minority, and I don't think that the numbers are nearly that skewed um, for, like, racial minorities, I, you know, e- even excluding all of the other diversity besides just white people and black people, but, like, that's it's a pretty yeah. intense skew, and there are several things that I find very fascinating. For example, uh, the mayor is a predator, at the beginning of the movie, at least, yeah. and he is JK basically... Simmons. Do what? J.K. Simmons. Yeah, fuck yeah, J.K. Simmons. Ah, oh, I'm so happy whenever he does anything. I'm just like, yes. I love J.K. Simmons. it in my brain. My yes. Tenzin. My J. Jonah. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, that's the only character in power that's a predator, though. I'm pretty sure. Mm. Because the police chief is a water buffalo, as you mentioned. Yeah. Um, Assistant Mayor Bellwether, who later in the movie is just the mayor, is a sheep. Um, yeah. Mr. Big, who is the crime boss of the movie and who I just find absolutely just he's adorable incredible. and delightful. It's such a great character. Um, <laughs> he's an Arctic shrew. Yeah. <laughs> so you have these predominantly, pred- uh, predominantly prey animals in positions of power, whereas you have, um, Mr. Big's bodyguards are all polar bears, predators. Yeah. Um, I initially thought uh, like, I, I forgot that the place that they were infiltrating where the predators were being kept who had gone savage, I forgot that that was ran by the mayor and not the assistant mayor. So I initially yeah. was like, oh shit, this is a fucking crazy thing, but uh, it's not quite right. Anyway, yeah. but... Yeah, he was trying Bellwether. to work out, just just to rerun the story, he was trying to work out why they were going mad to say that they, could, so they wouldn't just report that predators were going crazy, because then racism would happen, and it did. <laughs> and it really, really did. Goodness, it happened. <laughs> um, so Bellwether uses rams. Her, her lackeys are rams. Um, wolves are the security people outside of the... Uh, outside of the prison mm-hmm. uh so it, initially i thought that they were under the control of bellwether and my observation was oh it's interesting that her personal guard is you know prey but her, these people outside are wolves but that was an yeah. incorrect observation on my part however it, just another really small small example is the animal that owns the business that the weasel steals from is a pig so you have mm. even like these kind of side characters in the background who are showing this institutional thing where a prey, a prey animal owns the business, but the predator animal is a scavenger and has to steal. Yeah. And all that's fine. It's cool awesome that's put upon because of the prejudices that they set about, which is played through with Nick and the way that he's been treated in the past, which he opens up to Judy about when he sees firsthand how she's being treated by um, Idris Elba's character, the water buffalo Even captain. though he's been doing it the whole time. Yeah, but I think then you can see it in her. Whereas before, I think because he's used to people treating him like shit, 
he just sees her as like another prey animal. He's going to see him as just a devious mis a devious misdeeder. That's not a word. Um, yeah, a miscreant. So he he's punching up in yeah. that regard, and then he sees like, oh, she's actually quite disadvantaged in this moment, and decides to help her. I thought I thought that was just the best and. Bogo, the chief, being like, do you think I'm going to trust a fox? Like, th there's several things. I wish that I had gone through this with my highlighter because I have basically, like, my notes are in groups of, like, here's stuff that is obviously, like, racialized treatment of predators and foxes, and particularly Nick, since he is our main guy and, like, our lens through which we see those things. Yeah. And then a bunch of stuff that's re relevant to the allegory of smaller prey animals being like women and that includes observations about the assistant mayor even though she ends up being the mastermind at the end of the movie yeah spoilers she's the villain <laughs> yeah that's why I was, at the very beginning i was like i cannot talk about this without just spoiling you, the whole you plot can't it talk was... about zootopia without talking about the big twist that comes about two-thirds of the way through yeah so... definitely it is <laughs> Which, a very interesting <laughs> do what because that's the big twist that's the big twist is that yeah the the little sheep lady is actually the bad guy oh i thought something was really cool um she got called away just in time to not see when she's helping them with the cctv stuff um whatever that is, that is, that is probably not the right word for that but regardless when she's helping them with the traffic cams she yeah. gets called away before she can see that they're going to get the information that would mm. inevitably lead to shit being found out. That's pretty cool. Yeah, although I guess in that instance, the only person who's taking the fall necessarily is the mayor, which I don't yeah. think she would be upset about. And she was kind of setting them up for that. I mean, she's the one. She's she was Judy's contact at City Hall. She was the one that basically gave them the evidence they had to take down the system, which one then made her the mayor and got her mm, to true. instill the. Um, the climate of fear of predators versus prey, um, which he is using to stay in power. And we've all seen in the real world how people use fear to control um, civilians. Um, and I'm not going to mention any um, orange um, wiggy mm -hmm. uh, names, <laughs> but fear is a great motivator, especially if you manipulate people's fear to, towards groups that you don't like, that they have no reason to dislike, but can be easily scapegoated. Which is obviously yes. the parallel. But this this came out before Trump was elected, like a fair a fair while before. Yeah, and regardless, these kind of things require three minimum years, I think, of of work. You know, from the beginning, writing to storyboarding to actually doing all of the CGI and the acting, and you know, all of this nonsense. Yeah, but I think this came out two years ago. So Trump wasn't elected until like six months later, at least, or however long it came out. I don't know. Mm -hmm. But yeah. yeah, so it's kind of more relevant afterwards. <laughs> I don't think I don't think they expected that, and I don't think they would if if it was if it was going to be on the nose and it wouldn't have been a sheep in charge. They would have made it a bit more um, allegorical. Not that it wasn't allegorical, allegory. It's a massive allegory, but it's very easy to write a Trump ass character, and they didn't because that's not the way that it looked like the system was going to play out. Even though it was going that way, like maybe they didn't think that. People would vote in someone so overtly horrible, and then someone who's just like being playing people's horrors under the scenes, like um, a lot of the Republicans have been doing for a long time. Yeah, most definitely. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to think of 
what are other observations that I had about it. I'm just kind of looking over my notes here. I, I have a lot of little random notes, like vaguely Mulan-esque montage. <laughs> mm. <laughs> For when she's going through the training at the beginning. Uh, yeah. It's a shame they didn't have a song in there, because part of what I missed about this movie is that it's it feels very DreamWorks, in that there are no songs besides the Shakira song, which is also a very dreamworks thing to have like a proper, real song. Like, an, mm. a, like, a, like a licensed song. And no um, songs that people, characters are actually singing to each other. And, uh, yeah. And, like, it, the whole thing felt very much like, even the way people smirk at each other, it felt a lot more like the be- one of the better DreamWorks movies than a Disney movie. Which is fine. Like, it's, like Shrek was good. This is better than pretty much all DreamWorks movies, in my opinion. <laughs> it did feel I, out of style for Disney, which is also interesting. Yeah. I mean, well... I, 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 like Shrek and Shrek 2 are very good movies um, I can't think of any other DreamWorks movies that even come close to those two but I mean, the two movies that I think of when I think of DreamWorks movies are I don't know what they say about me as a person <laughs> alright because they are the one about um, Moses and the one about Joseph and uh, I don't sure. know I, I just How's loved tra- those was- movies like so much <laughs> What's How to Train Your Dragon um, DreamWorks? Oh, that's a good question. You're going to make me look stuff up during the podcast. that was a very good movie. Um, oh, God. I don't know. What was the title no, of the movie? No, it's not. Just I just said? Googled it. <laughs> you just Googled it? Okay, you got it first. I just I, yeah, I don't had an ADD is. blank out moment. Yeah, no. That's cute. As far as I can tell. <laughs> what well, was Big Hero 6? Because that was a great Big movie, Big Hero 6 too. was Disney. It was a good movie, I did, but I, not a movie that I felt the need to watch more than once. I didn't like Big Hero 6. Really? I would have to go back I, and look at it again. I thought with that movie, this is off topic, but I think it's important. Uh, <laughs> with the, <laughs> that movie, they, they play up the role of, so Baymax, which is the, the, the big robot in the posters and stuff, and he's the, the, creator, the creation of the main character's brother. Um, his, the main character's brother creates Baymax as a medical device one that's going to go around and help people and save them and make them better. His brother um, turns him into a fighting machine for punching people um, because he just wants to be a superhero and stuff, which is part of the plot of the movie. And then, like, towards the end, the big revelation is that he's using Baymax to fight instead of what he's using for, what he's supposed to be used for, which is to help people. So to fix this, he gives Baymax armor so he's better at fighting people. And then they go and fight some people some more, and no one gets helped, and he doesn't use as the savior as the big medical device that he's supposed to be used for, and presumably lots more people die because Baymax isn't being used for medical purposes. That's a fair criticism. <laughs> That's totally fair. I would I have to watch it again, but I would be thinking that the entire time. Yeah, it was. <laughs> Once I'd realized, like, wait, because I, I was paying attention to that bit, and I was like, because Baymax is so cute, obviously, you're waiting for him to, like, and he's all sad about having to fight, and then suddenly he's just fine with fighting for no reason. Like, the plot doesn't actually make any sense. Like, it's very cute, <laughs> but... <laughs> I don't Fair know. Enough. It's not Mo... It's no Moana. That's the, that's the problem. There's no Zootopia. Zootopia... I think Zootopia and Moana came out in the same year, and they're both very good movies. They are both great movies. I love Moana. I couldn't talk about it the same way as I talk about this movie, though, because it's equally like, oh, this is kind of obvious. Like, it's just super positive for women. I mean, the, if I were to make a criticism or if I were to make any kind of critique 
or review of Moana, it would inevitably just be like, here are all the ways that this is incredibly feminist compared to every other Disney movie. Like, that just, that would be it. It would be like, here's another point where Moana's, like, like, independence is reinforced by the plot. And, like, this yeah. character is very, you know, supportive of, that's all it would be. <laughs> Moana is also, it's, a compl- it's very hard to compare these two because Moana is a very traditional Disney movie. And Zootopia is very much the new blend where it's a lot more DreamWorks-ish and the fact that they're actually taking risks and not going by the formula. Yeah. It definitely... I also find it a little bit refreshing, I guess, from a Disney movie. And we saw this somewhat from Frozen, um, but we have two protagonists who work together. Like a, It's like a, it's a buddy cop movie, kind of, like, it essentially. Is bu- no, it, it is a buddy cop movie, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is just cute to think of. <laughs> a bunny cop movie, which is pretty good. Um, I guess I, he, I, I just want to like look through my notes and pull out examples of various comments that translate to racism, I sure. suppose. Okay. Uh, just stuff that I, that I found weird or interesting. Like there's a scene where in this, let's say in the scene where the assistant mayor is helping them look at the traffic cams and she's sitting down and Nick, the fox is standing up and he starts touching her, her hair. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It was, it was so cute, especially because, you know, I'm thinking of Nick as the, you know, stand in for a black character, this whole movie. And here he is touching the sheep's wool and uh, he's just like, Oh my God, it's so fluffy. And then he says, sheep never let me get this close, which I thought was really cute. Mm. And Judy, said... <laughs> do what? It's just like, yeah, that obviously like that point, like a sheep, like the sheep, sort of the one that's getting the the brunt of the racism metaphor there. Right, and that's why I'm like, there's a lot of mixing of metaphors, but that's why I guess the animal thing works so well because you have uh, Judy saying, "Oh, please don't call me cute. It's not really cool when other species do that. It's fine if a bunny calls another bunny cute." Yeah, um, and. <laughs> At the same time, all of these uh, just kind of generally sexist undertones. So yeah, I just thought it was really adorable, and and Judy just being indignant, like, hey, you just can't touch a sheep, a sheep's wool, and just being like, it's like cotton candy. Like, <laughs> why are you doing this? It's so silly. <laughs> and then he asks, uh, do you, do you think when she goes to sleep she counts herself, <laughs> which is <laughs> like just a vague microaggression? I feel. Yeah. <laughs> It's all good animal-based pun. <laughs> Have you yeah, seen that oh, game? There's so a game good. online called um, Hair Nah, where you're um, you play a black woman um, who is um, people constantly trying to touch your hair, and you have to swipe away people's hands away from your hair to win. <laughs> it's very very good. Is that a real thing? It's a real game. Go look it up. It's called Hair Nah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's that's wow. Yeah, I, I, humanity <laughs> is just a really interesting thing. We're in an interesting place these days. <laughs> yeah, we're living in a very weird time in species. Um, one of the first microaggressions that we see with Nick, uh, and I don't know what his friend is. Do you know what species his little buddy is? Oh, I think he's a fennec fox. That is what I what I thought. Um, and he's fully grown, but he's just really little. Because yeah. it's a little species. Uh, oh, the first time I saw that scene, I fucking broke. That, he's in the little elephant costume. He's making the toot noises with the dummy. Like, I can't handle you, it. You were just like <laughs> overloaded with cute and like not was, realizing. 
I was in fucking tears at how cute that was. <laughs> like, and my, I was watching with my ex, and, like, we were both just fucking crying. <laughs> just how cute that scene. It was. It's so cute, though. It played with you so much. I mean, it's great when it takes, when he, like, he, he like, as he gets the bunny, he gets his dummy out later, and he's got the fucking James L. Jones vo- voice, and that's amazing, but. Oh, God, yes. <laughs> I love that so much. Mm. Uh, and, he, and he's driving like, oh, he's so tiny. It's so cute. But like, <laughs> toot, toot. Toot, toot. <laughs> um, mm. So anyway, the elephant is hella racist. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, he <sighs> says, you probably can't read to Nick, which I thought was, I was like, oh, mm. that's a bit yeah. fucked up. Yeah. Um, and then Judy proceeds to call him a real articulate fella, which which messed me up even worse. I was like, yeah. oh, my God, the benevolent sexism is so real. Yeah, so patronizing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, she's kind of this character that's like from she's from the country and her parents are both very, very, very racist, such that they equip her with fox repellent before she leaves. Yeah. Um. Which I guess isn't re- entirely unfair because she was bullied by a fox as a as a as a kid. Yeah, but that's then projecting onto all foxes, and that's sort of the problem. Like, yeah, it, wanna, and it's all creditors to them. Yeah, exactly. And like, obviously, the fox that she was bullied there later turns out like he apologized for his actions, and he's like got a lot, and he's learned to control himself, and he's because he was yes. treated badly, and which is good. Oh, um, I love that so much. Can I read the quote? Because I wrote the whole thing down. Yeah, yeah, dude. It's, it just it it just gets me it gets me so much um so yeah she meets up with Gideon as an adult and he says uh he right off the bat he's like I just like to say I'm sorry for the way I acted in my youth uh I had a lot of self-doubt and it manifested itself in the form of unchecked rage and aggression I was a major jerk and I was like oh my god look at how cute he is like that's like (laughs) just built into this film about all these other things is this little piece of fighting against toxic masculinity and I love yeah. it so much. <laughs> <laughs> the real articulate fella stuff really strikes me as something like a very Southern thing. And I don't know why, because I'm not from America, but it just like immediately rings to me, like this idea that we have over here of what the American South is like. Yeah, and I, guess I don't know that anyone would ever say TV. that, but yeah, I, I, I don't know. Like I'm just from fucking like Song of the South, which is racist in itself. And like, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Just the yeah, just the stereotype of the way that you think a lot of like the the stereotypical like you know the the hick sort of like kind of sort of very problematic stereotype. Mm-hmm. It makes me think of um sort of Sam Guthrie from the New Mutants, which who isn't racist either. So I don't know why it brought that image to my head. But... It's totally cool. Mm. Is it fair to say that uh, crime bosses are meant to be trade as meant to be betrayed? portrayed as vaguely italian yes that's okay he's very much mafia and there's the very <laughs> the italian the sort of italian american accent yeah mm-hmm. the god it's the godfather he is very yeah, much it like is the mo- godfather yeah the godfather face and he's like oh no much much my daughter and I said, yeah <laughs> <laughs> on the day of my daughter's wedding like all of that I yeah. have never seen that movie, but I guess I need to. I, I, so many things reference it culturally. I've not seen it either, but it was definitely a reference. <laughs> um, yeah, no, no, he's meant to be. He's meant to be an Italian mafia. <laughs> yeah, and I thought that her, uh, even the way that his daughter's hair was was is exactly how I imagine that type of woman would style her hair. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It was just very cute, 
And mm. I, I also just think it's really amusing that during the period of time where Judy is no longer, like, officially a police officer, um, she is totally fine with using her mob connections <laughs> to get <laughs> shit done. That's one of these things that conceits in Disney movies is that all the big crime lords are actually just secretly just sort of fun bad guys that aren't really that yeah. bad. Like, like we're like, overlooking oh, the fact that they're threatening to murder this guy. Yeah, like, oh no, he's super dangerous. It's like every like live action thing, like with a bad guy, like they turn up that everyone forgets them like five seasons later, even though they've murdered tons of people. Like when Once Upon a Time and Lost and stuff, all this stuff happens like someone who's like legitimately a mass murderer and everyone's like, oh no, you're an okay dude. And then someone from like yeah. who hasn't turned up for a few seasons killed one guy and no one can forgive him. It's like that. It's like, you know, like in Tangled, when they all go to the, have you seen Tangled? Otherwise this will make no sense. I've only seen once, uh, but I have seen it. Right. It's like when they, when um, when um, Rapunzel and um, Flynn go to the bar, go to that tavern, and it's full of all the dangerous types, and Flynn's all like, "Oh, let me do the talking. I'm the big thief and stuff." And and then she, and then like they're all like super nice guys that just like want to like learn to sing and like carve little wooden horses and stuff. Yep. Like all the bad guys are secretly just like good guys who are a bit wacky. <laughs> that is really interesting. I mean, in one in one way, I kind of like that our villains nowadays are a little bit more multidimensional. Like, I guess they are becoming a little bit more cute, but in a way, it's sort of just humanizing. Like, we're so used to seeing villains as flat characters with absolutely nothing good to go for them. Um, and it's refreshing to a story, I think, to have a little bit more dynamic. Of course, in a children's movie like Zootopia... This character is meant to be portrayed as primarily just sort of cute, and it's the adults who are, like, laughing at the absurdity of the juxtaposition. Yeah, I mean, I agree, but I also think you can be new, have a nuanced villain without them have without them being, like, morally grey. Like, I think um, Claude Frollo from The Hunchback of Notre Dame, which is also a Disney children's movie, is an incredibly compelling villain, and he's an absolute bastard. Like, unre- mm-hmm. irredeemable asshole, but, like, he he's fascinating to watch. Same with uh, Scar, you know, like Scar, obviously, like he's been treated as the and Lion King has been treated as the, like the younger brother. He's been looked down on. He's not the heir to the throne, and people look treat him weird because he's got a scar and he's a different color, which has got a whole other thing. Um, but I don't like, want to, I don't want to <laughs> take credit from the writers, um, but both of those characters are voiced by like seriously badass voice actors. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> like, if I'm being completely honest, part of the appeal of both of those characters is the way that they come across in their voice acting. That's true. That's true. I mean, Scar is kind of a bastard if you don't pull him off right. I mean, he is a bastard. I mean, like, they both are. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. But they're like, not Claude compelling unless you not, pull it off right. He's not redeemable, but he's a very good mm-hmm. villain. Like, but, like, but at the same time, you can have or can also have a very good villain that's got different motivations. But I think that's also difficult in a Disney movie to do. Like when, so like when you're looking through this, this most of this movie, and it looks like the people who are the bad guys, like they're all like, oh no, don't worry, we're just doing this to save the town. When the mayor gets um, arrested, he's like, this will ruin the city if we let this information get out. And at first, you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, the bad guys been put away. But when the 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 new mayor, the sheep, gets elected, and she's revealed to be the one who's been behind it all, who's been um, inject um, putting um, injecting darts of um, basically poison, like um, some neuro, like neurotoxin that's making um, predators go crazy. When they find out that she's been doing it, she is basically like, "Oh yeah, no, I'm doing this to stick for power." And suddenly, yeah, you have the flat, she has very flat again. motivations. 
Yeah, mm-hmm. because you need someone to root against because it's a kids' movie. Because you've had all this all this nuance in the rest of the cast, they needed something solid to root against, I suppose, or it'd be lost in this sea of like hopelessness, which you can't have for a kids' movie, which ends in Shakira singing a dance and doing a dance number. Yeah, that's true. Oh God, <laughs> I oh I laughed so hard. I hadn't watched that entire thing until today. Like well, the Shakira the entire, bit. Yeah, the entirety of the Shakira bit, but it shows <laughs> the characters from the cast. And um, Bogo is there, and it's just the most funny thing I've seen in the last week. <laughs> mm, I can't. I skip. Just past him that dancing. Bit oh, okay. Yeah, it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> they had that bit with him with the app in the earlier in the movie, which was good enough for me. That was very good. Yeah, that was pretty cute too. Like, <laughs> hey, no, I'm doing. I'm doing the case. I'm busy. <laughs> I like I, I love I love seeing Idris, Idris Elba in these things. Like I know he's a serious actor, but I love this shit. Like I loved him in Thor Ragnarok as well, and I know that he hated doing the Thor movies before, so I hope he had a bit more fun there. I need I like to see Moran. that. I haven't yet. It's very good. It's not your typical Thor movie either, which is I guess a trend with Disney these days. They're <laughs> trying to change things up. I I think it's really weird how they went with the whole biology thing in Zootopia. Mm. It was just. I mean, I guess there's only, that's the only way you can spin that, but it was, like, really reductionist, in my opinion. Wasn't that, isn't racism as a whole very reductionist in the whole, in the yeah. way it works? It just, it was ham-fisted, in my opinion, if that yeah, makes sense. I mean, kind of, but, like, you got to get the point across, like, it's, like, obviously in real life people are more sly about it and then just say, oh, these people are different, therefore they're wrong. But they did mm-hmm. kind of used to say that, and so you can sort of use it, and it's not unrealistic. It's just that these days there's more nuance. People like to hide the fact that they're racist and stuff like that. And people use the biology argument against trans people all the time, and they use it against gay people like 10, 20 years ago, and that these people are wrong because of their biology. Like, you know, they're not, they're, they're not supposed to like this. That's not the way that that's the way, the way that we're supposed to be is this way because of biology, and even though they don't understand the true. biology. Yeah, I suppose that's fair. And, and uh, it is a kid's movie, and it's meant to be, you're meant to be able to pick up on how absurd these kind of prejudices are. Yeah. I suppose. It's, the reason it's a good allegory is because it's easy to, easier to swallow than sometimes the real thing is. Right, yeah. That's totally fair. Yeah. Like, a real good allegory isn't not going to be as complicated as the real issue, or there's no point in it being written. Like, the point of an allegory is to get the message across in a way that's swallowable. Um, it's a good metaphor. It's a way, like, it's the whole point of using a metaphor. You use a metaphor because... Um, it's, it makes the, explaining the, what you're trying to explain easier by drawing parallels. If you're drawing an allegory, you're trying to get a point across. And you can't get that point across by doing the whole point in, by, in and of itself, or you're basically writing a documentary with some animals on it. That's true. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> I mean, I'd watch that too, but there'd also be like a... Like a you know, like a class, on, like, a so, like a social studies class or something like that. Or like PGCE or something like that. Like something to teach you not to be racist. It's not going to be an enjoyable kids movie. Totally. Uh, really quick on the idea of this being a kids movie and, you know, the messages that you're meant to absorb from it. Can I just say that I thought it was very strange that they had, like, this nudist spa or whatever you want to call it. <laughs> and it was portrayed as this, like, horrible affront to society and to sensibility <laughs> I don't know what yeah. what that was. <laughs> yeah, I mean, sometimes the writer's own fears get through, you know. I mean, there are there are I, there are people who are nudists who don't shower. I mean, it's a thing that happens. 
And I think that, like, generally that, that, that it was mainly, like, you can see the point of view of Judy being disgusted with it because she's, like, you know, very small town, um, very country girl. She's not used to all this sort of stuff. But I guess That's with, like, true. I guess she's sort of the butt of the joke there. Yeah, like, she's can't, she's suffering from it. Obviously, the, the um, I can't remember, what, is it, like, a llama or something that's showing her around? Like, he's... Oh, I don't know what he is. The joke's on him partially because he doesn't watch, but he's still a hot sort of hippie, doesn't believe he needs to. And he's, like, sort of saves the day in that scene by being the one that remembers instead of the elephant. But basically, yeah. Nick brings her here knowing that he's go- she's going to suffer for it, and he's laughing, and he's just not bothered by it. And no one else is, and she's really suffering. And the part of it is on her. But also, the joke is on them for being something that makes her uncomfortable. And I guess you could see the parallels that you could make, a, like, people make jokes like that, like, about trans people, and then, like, say, like, oh, yeah, it's fine, because they're not the butt of the joke. The other person is like, yeah, but you're also using them to prop up a joke, which could also be seen as problematic. Um, but I don't think kids think about nudism the same way that we do. I think, like, if it's a kid, right, they just see, like, something naked and it's funny because it's weird. I don't mm-hmm. think, and most adults these days don't even think about that sort of thing, which is kind of weird. Like, clothes are kind of stupid when you think about it. I mean... <laughs> I like them and they keep me warm and I hate my body so I don't want to look at it but like <laughs> logically <laughs> logically <laughs> it should be fine to just keep your clothes off it's we've grown, we've got this society now in which like we put shame on our body parts and I think part of them was play, playing with her like she's grown up in a very in a very enclosed system where like keep yourself safe go grow up in the rabbit farm don't become the cop it's dangerous stay safe don't talk to foxes, don't go to the big city. She's got a very rigid set of rules she's lived by, even though she thinks in terms of... She's she's sort of a portrayal of one of these people who congratulates themselves on being very liberal while harboring, like, unbeknownst to them, some quite problematic beliefs. Yeah. And she just plays that early on. I have, like, I just have a thing where I, I took several notes that were all vaguely about the same thing, and then next to it I just wrote, like, subconscious bias, and then a bunch of lines around it, like, making it, like, shine, you know? Like, ah. yeah. Like, yeah. she is the embodiment of liberal subconscious bias, like, where, you know, you're exactly right. She she thinks of, you know, predators and prey as equal, but in her actions, she, like, the very first time she meets... Nick, she's ready to spray him, and later on in the story, he tests uh, her trust and scares her a little bit, and she's ready to spray him in the face again. Like, she is the embodiment of subconscious bias. She is. And that's sort of what I meant in the beginning when I was saying that Nick's lines set her up, because you can really tell every time she's interacting with him. And even in the beginning, you can sort of see them working in that sort of, oh, you know, like, I really support um, people of color, I really support the LGBT community, and then, like, you see in their actions they're doing something completely different, and the way that they talk about their support does sort of, you see, like, someone who feels like they're enlightened, but they haven't quite externalised their internal intentions, or they're internalising some prejudices which they are suppressing. I mean, it's fine, I think it's better to be, like, obviously, like, supportive and trying to work your way through these and obviously everyone has subconscious biases we have to try and overcome like because like we live in a world with a lot of societal pressures and you're going to absorb some of them unfortunately but like you work your way through that and you work to become a better person and obviously she hasn't quite worked through that and I think there's a lot of people who are the same especially like as trans people we know people that are like this they're like oh no I support you but like in any any other reaction like they'll laugh at a joke about trans people or something like that and they won't see the problem with it or they'll support something like they'll support some really problematic stuff 
or they'll go give money to people who are being horrible to LGBT people and they'll be like, well, I don't see a problem with it. You know, it's very easy to play it down or be defensive when you're not the one being attacked and then go back and say, no, I still support them. And you might still support them, but maybe your support isn't coming from the heart as much as you think it is. Yeah, like your support shouldn't be conditional is the... Exactly. Exactly. Most definitely. I thought it was really interesting. Do what? Yeah. No, carry on. (laughs) I was going to change the subject. I was going to move on. Yeah, do it. It's fine. Uh, Her name is Dawn Bellwether. I don't think they ever say her first name, or at least I can't remember it. It's Assistant Mayor Bellwether. She she multiple times plays on the mutuality of her and Judy's, you know, womanhood, if you want to just call out the metaphor. Yeah. Um, and it sort of bookends the movie in this really interesting way because at the beginning, uh, when Judy is graduated and becoming an officer, she's like, you know, us little guys got to stick together. And mm. then at the end of the movie, she appeals to it again with, oh, what does she say? She says, uh, she says, we're on the same team, underestimated, underappreciated. Aren't you sick of it? And Ooh, that she's cuts. just, do what? That cuts. <laughs> Yeah, that's a deep yeah, cut. <laughs> it, it it is very poignant as a statement of of mutuality, you know, like ah, oh, isn't it so terrible? You know, we're we're the underdogs all the time, and now look at us, we have the opportunity to take back that power that's been mm. out of our reach the entire time. Yeah, so that's interesting. That's um, really interesting. Oh, as a random note, a good... I think it's really kind of silly but cool-ish that they used uh, rap to code the Fennec as African-American. Like, yeah. like, it's just one piece of the whole metaphor where it's like, yeah, he also listens to hard rap, by the way. I'm not sure how to think about that. <laughs> I know, I know. With him being like a, an actual, well, I don't actually know if he's a criminal or not. I know that Nick uh, is clean when we see him but definitely hints that he has done crime in the past <laughs> yeah yeah like I, I don't know how to feel about sort of the stuff like you know like the black pat the trailer it came out recently came out and like run the jewels is in the background and like i love think run the jewels are great and like i think black panther's great but i feel i have a sort of weird feeling about them like every time they use a black character like oh the trailer's gonna have rap in it and like i like rap's great but why are you only using it for these guys? And I know that's probably like me as a white person, like thinking that's weird, maybe. But like, I mean, I would assume that it's because they're trying to. I mean, they're trying to use like a lot of black actors. And oh god, I cannot wait to see that movie. Like, I am so hyped for Black Panther. Don't even play. Mm. Um, <laughs> and they're like two token white characters. Ah, oh, it's gonna be fantastic. Yeah. But they're they're using this just like Luke Cage was used and I'm sure we should discuss Luke Cage sometime and like Jessica Jones. Oh, I'd love to. Yeah. Oh yeah. I need to rewatch those. Um, <laughs> anyhow. So Luke Cage, you know, obviously it's a comic it came out a long time ago, but it is used in this present day context to tell a new type of story, uh, or the same story, but within, you know, these new constructs. So I think that Black Panther, as a work of art is probably going to try to do some of those same things like as much as you can do with it being about a literal fake country in Africa like they're going yeah. to use 
black artists and this is this is the thing though i feel like with luke cage it made like it was much more logical because not that it's not logical for black panther because like you can use rap for anything and i'm just like i'm probably just being weird because i'm because i'm being i'm trying to be one of these liberals that's like oh i know if there's this right and then it probably is but like <laughs> um with luke cage like luke cage is grew up he, like he's a he's a harlem born and bred hero like he's he's been around for a long time and he's part of the black exploitation sort of movement when the marvel tried to pick him up and like he's been like a hero for hire on this stuff like his his background is very much like he's on the streets of harlem and he's doing his thing um and like he listens to rap in the comics and like he, he's the he's the kind of person like where it really makes sense and like it makes sense for iron fist too honestly like to have that in there but, but how like, appealing if, would it be if they used like traditional African music as the soundtrack for this film? Like, I just don't know what realistic alternative there is I guess, aside from just a typical movie soundtrack. Yeah, I think I'm just I think I'm just thinking too hard about it, and it's probably it's probably good. And I love Lauren the Jewels anyway, okay. so I'm like I'm fine with them being played. <laughs> so I don't know why I'm so this week about it so much, but it just struck me as a little bit hard. Yeah. <laughs> mm. <laughs> Oh, I, know, I feel like I interrupted your point there at some point, and I'm not sure what you were talking about. Oh, I have no idea. It's okay, though. Yeah. I, I have other things, probably, that I could okay. bring up. <laughs> um, la da 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 Oh, uh, Nick has a PTSD trauma back flashback for real. Oh, he super does. Like, super does. It's, like, visual and everything. That sucked. Yeah. It's sort of quite similar to the way that, like, they show that show Judy being attacked by the by the by the fox in the in the beginning. Except that, like, she gets back up and she does a brave thing, whereas he just kind of ends up suffering for it and really gets more victimized than she ever was. Well, there's both him telling the story, and then later he literally has a flashback while she's giving the press release, and there's the pictures of the animals with muzzles, and then he's like. He literally mm. is like, ah, that thing that happened. Um, yeah. Although I do, I really like the flashback scene, like, in as much as I can like a scene that has to do with a child being bullied. Um, yeah. But it's very while, good. And it goes along with the sort of, like, so in that moment, it's in the press conference in, the two th- in that sort of halfway point, um, probably more like two-thirds, when mm. this, this um, prey animal that he's trusted turns around and basically says to the world the predators are hard-coded in their biology to sort to be primal and sort of hunt us and they're dangerous mm-hmm. and which is not something he expected from her he thought he'd found a point of empathy with her and suddenly he's noticing like oh she's just like everyone else and then she um, drops a literal oh you're not like them yeah yeah that was such a hard comment to listen to it was rough yeah also, also and it says, says oh so there's a them now mm-hmm and she's like, well, you're, you're just not that kind of... And he's like, are you kidding me? Yeah, and you're not that kind of predator. Like, oh, you're not like those gay people. You're one that can... Yeah. Tra- yeah. <laughs> you're not like those rough. camp gay people. You're a normal gay person. <laughs> that sort of thing. Now we're in your instance, like, oh, you're not like those crazy non-binary people. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's like, oh, yeah, yeah, no, I'm fine with trans people. I just don't get these people that think they're not one or the other. So you're too gender. <laughs> Fucking get over yourself. <sighs> totally. Um, I was going to finish a thought, and I don't, I don't know what it was. Okay. That's okay. Well, then he says, literally, like, there are, that's, there, are thing, there, are, there are trans people, binary trans people that think like that, too, and that's part of the problem. 
Yeah, and there's no, people I'm in aware. any group. Yeah, there's people in any. Yeah, I know you. There's people in any group that look down on any other part of the group, and that's sort of part of it as well, because they can see that Judy is being put down, but she still can't quite use the fact that she's being discriminated against to see how she's discriminating against someone else. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I remembered what I was going to say about the retelling of what happened to Nick as a child. Uh, when I was watching it this morning, I, I couldn't, I like, I didn't remember the end of the scene, and I thought like, when he runs out, he, he, they yell after him like, oh, is he gonna cry? And he gets really upset and like rips off the thing from his face, and um, he's like really angry for a second, but then he does like crumple down and start crying, and I was mm-hmm. like, okay, you're realistic. That's a child. Child would cry. Yeah. No toxic masculinity bullshit. <laughs> this is modern disney we got no moon for that here. modern disney men cry it's a thing yeah, yeah but okay so while we're on that though and since this came up earlier in the conversation when nick opens up about like like when he finally sees that judy is disadvantaged as well he says uh after this retelling of the story of what happened to him as a kid in the scouts he says that he he decided that he was never going to let anyone see that they got to him, and that if the world is only going to see a fox as shifty and untrustworthy, there's no point in trying to be anything else. Mm-hmm. And I thought that that was so powerful, especially as it's racially coded messaging, um, because I think that that's true for a lot of people who are, like, black or Hispanic, especially because they're, like, just treated with suspicion or, like, or in the case of Hispanic people, they're treated like, oh, you can't even speak English, you know, how could you be expected to be a skilled worker, or, you know, how can you be a good accountant or anything if you you don't even have a grasp of the language? Um, And it creates this system in which people don't reach further than these limitations that have been placed around them by just the expectations of society. It's easy to be put into, to put yourself in society's box if everyone around you is constantly pushing you into that box, even though you know, and you used to know that you could do more. Mm. I think that goes for a lot of, a lot of minorities, but especially um, ethnic minorities. Um, especially like when, you, when like people like, if, if you're being refused a job because of the way you look, and then like you're unemployed for so long, and then you got, and then sometimes like you know, if you're from a very poor family, you, you need to support them, especially if you're like a single parent, you got to look after someone, you got to look after a brother or something. Mm-hmm. You've got to fucking provide, and then like no one's giving you this thing, and they don't trust you, and then you have to do the things that make people think you're untrustworthy. It's a horrible cycle of pain, which is linked directly to poverty and the way that poverty is instilled in groups that. Especially in a system like the US's and like to a lesser, to a very, to a slightly lesser extent, the UK's, which really preys on poor people and really shoves them further down the system instead of letting them build themselves up. Mm-hmm. I also find it interesting that Nick and Judy are sort of contrasted against one another in this way that they they are not presented as having drastically different opportunities as children, like. Nick does say that his mother had to scrape together the money for his scout's uniform. But other yeah. than that, we don't really get a picture of his financial situation. And then Judy is from a, an extremely large family in the country who probably can largely support themselves uh, food-wise on their own product. But, you know, yeah. I don't I don't know how fancy you would be otherwise. But she has the opportunity to go to do whatever. Um, but she she is constantly pushing against the message that she can't be a thing and she's like i'm gonna fucking do it anyway and then 
by contrast, Nick is a character who was told by society at large that he couldn't be anything other than, like, shifty and, you know, sort of criminal, I guess. Mm-hmm. And he chose to accept those circumstances and to work within that framework, I suppose, as, legitimacy, as legitimately as you can while yeah. still, per, you know, performing felony tax evasion. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's interesting. It's a really interesting contrast in those two. And I guess coming back to the point you had before is that, like, <laughs> she works out from burst out that system by joining it which is sort of a dark place to go with it and he does it ultimately too (laughs) yeah like i find it particularly grating from you know that standpoint that nick would choose to become part of that system yeah i mean probably because he's very good at detect the detective work and he enjoys doing it rather than he wants to keep the system the same he just enjoys the work by the sounds of it I mean, it's clearly about, like, it's not just enjoying the work, but it's about their partnership and that they work well together, because they obviously do. Also, like, I I recognize fully that this is a weird thing that I'm about to say, but I ship it so hard. (laughs) (laughs) I I don't know. Um, (laughs) in, In this universe, I'm not sure how that works. Hey, you know what? It's possible. For them to have a an asexual but romantic relationship. At I mean, the this very is minimum. True. This, they this established ca- that they love each other at the end. Or at least yeah, that but, he like, loves Nick. Don't say Nick. it's like sexy love or anything. <laughs> I, don't, I don't care. <laughs> I have had cannons, okay? I mean, I'm not sure how to feel about it. On the one hand, there's definitely chemistry there. But they're also like entirely different species. And like... If they tried to do stuff, like, it would be probably, like, hurt one of them. Like, at least, I'm not arguing with you. I'm not saying that I ship it sexually. (laughs) (laughs) I just think that they're cute together. They are cute together. Like, they're making a nice pair, and their personalities gel very well. I don't think, in this world as Zootopia, I'm not sure how how the sex works. I don't know if they like, have separate Tinder rats for all the different animals. That get very complicated. I mean, the hands are hands on all of them, which is just messed up in and of itself. Yeah, that's true. Um, I mean, it's like, don't know. Like, I didn't see any other bunnies in the city. Like, would she have to go there were. back home to get... Were there? Um, okay. On the subway, uh, while Gazelle is, like, talking to the news, um, they're just kind of like a montage of images from the city, and one of them is Judy getting on the subway and sitting down, uh, and, like, across from her is a mother bunny with her baby, and or, like, a, a youngling, and then a tiger gets on the subway and sits sort of beside the child, and she scoots the baby closer to her. Oh, right, yeah. yeah. So there okay. are other bunnies another, in the Another city. microaggression on the screen. Um, yeah, I, I wrote that one yeah, down. <laughs> yeah. Um, how hard must it be in that city when there's like a, a like hundreds of different species of animal? If you've got to make, if you can only mate with the with your species, which I assume you can because it's biology. There and would like, have to be so many different hookup apps. Yeah, and if, especially if you were like gay, and you're looking. Oh for God, like, no! <laughs> <laughs> it'd be no. so difficult. <laughs> It's hard enough as a human. Oh, yeah. Oh my god, that would terrible. be a nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> and I guess, I guess, as a society at large, you would want to uh, dissuade people from interracial dating or interspecies dating. I guess. Yeah. Um, 
because like, of the like, impact that it would have on the population. Yeah, yeah, and like, well, I don't know how how that even, how would that even work. And I don't think they they're still worth going into it. Probably. I mean, the bunnies are f- clearly fine. Yeah, I mean, the bunnies. There's plenty of them because they breed so fast. The predators would be I mean. the hardest one because they breed so slowly, and also they've got like a small percentage, which kind of makes sense. Because, like, if you think about, like, ecology, like, if you, there's no point having multiple predators in a system because they'll have to yeah. eat each other. Like, you need to have more prey than prey than predators just for, an, just to have a working ecology. I learned that from the second Jurassic Park book. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't read any of the Jurassic Park books. I'm a terrible paleontologist. I mean, I just, I, they were okay. I read them <laughs> okay. in high school. They weren't super impressive. All right, I won't read them then. I'll just write my own. Yeah, just write your own better. Yeah, books. I'll call it like Jurassic Playground or like Jurassic Playground <laughs> or Cretaceous Park or something. Let's do that. Uh, Cretaceous Park. I would go there. Yeah, I mean it's basically Jurassic Park but without the Stegosaurus. That's yeah, basically fair. all it is. <laughs> <laughs> it's all good. All of the none of those animals in that movie were from the Jurassic. That's true. I was I was like trying to think in my head like is there anything comparable they didn't have any alligators or anything like that that's true that's true now that i think about it but then again like we didn't spend any time in the wetter climates so there yeah, might be like just, an entirely underwater portion of the city i don't know they miss out on a lot of the stuff it's just the dinosaurs they want it's like then you see the new jurassic world trailer you see people running away there's like fucking thousands of dinosaurs all running like what kind of ecosystem supports like the amount of, like on this tiny island like thousands of animals that are this fucking huge and like no other animals <laughs> i mean i know they broke out the park but like they'd be dead it's not how it works <laughs> it's not how it works they have to be carting in so much food oh, i know <laughs> oh, or synthesizing Jesus. it i don't know they might have matter synthesis they had a lab at some point but it looks like it broke down or something because i think chris pratt's coming back after it's all gone wrong which mm. is sort of the formula that looks like a dumb movie Anyway, I've got anything more to say about Zootopia. I haven't even seen anything about a new Jurassic World, so I'm 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 content to remain in the dark for now. The trailer looks just as stupid as the first one, so it'll probably be good in a shocky way. In a shocky way. The shlocky way. Oh, shlocky way. Okay. Yeah. Trying to see if there's anything else on here that I didn't bring up that I feel is incredibly important. <laughs> My big, my big thing is, you know, I got that out of the way really quick. Yeah. I don't know. Do you have any, you you haven't been driving most of this conversation. <laughs> do you have any particular like things that you noticed while you were watching it that you wanted I've to I've been shoving out? little bits of social commentary in now and again. <laughs> do what? I've been shoving little bits of social commentary in now and again. I just. Yeah, basically. I just think it's a very interesting perspective on the whole thing. Like, I thought, like, especially when I first saw it, I was like, oh, wow, a Disney movie about racism. This is very novel. And, of course, like, people go away and they take what they want from it. And, like, obviously people are going to go away from it. And some people are going to be like, oh, that was a nice movie about animals, wasn't it, Jerry? Let's go home mm-hmm. and, like, talk about how terrible black people are. I'm sure there are people like that out there. And, like, I do think it's sort of weird and jarring. And I guess it's going to happen more and more now that Disney owns more things. For such a for a company that's sort of basically a big bully, just as the as a like point of it being like a big conglomerate and like a massive media company, is that it is part of the system and readers play it. For it to be making some meta commentary about society when it's not 
being self-aware besides the fact oh I have these movies out like there's no reference to how to Disney as a sort of problematic entity which I guess isn't the point of it but I think it is sort of bizarre to make social commentary like that when your parent company is sort of maybe evil a little bit even though I love Disney like I (laughs) recognize it's got problems it's really interesting that you make that comparison uh like when you already mentioned earlier in the episode the similarities to DreamWorks in this yeah. movie because DreamWorks is a company f- founded by a dude who wanted to have creative freedom at Disney and was told to fuck off yeah. and was like well fine I'm gonna go take all these great ideas somewhere else yeah and they made quite a bit of money off it as well <laughs> yeah yeah it's true and like they're like, now sort know, of taking Disney the house style that they of have DreamWorks a better format? yeah now they're taking the house style of DreamWorks and they're running with it which is sort of weird it's the same way I sort of feel about like I mean, I only think about when I think about it too much, like surface level, I love it. And, I, and, I, and I'm sort of in love with Disney and just sort of like the way I grew up with it. Mm-hmm. But I recognize that in the same way that well, a few years ago when we were trying to, when the British were trying to stick it up to Simon Cowell on Christmas Day by making sure X Factor didn't get to number one again, we got um, Killing in the Name to number one, which on the one hand is a great song for saying fuck you. Um, to the system but it is owned by Sony Music which <laughs> is quite wealthy in and of itself and I don't think they need they needed it so much I mean it's about sending a message but and the There's message like is always a broader important. thing yeah but you can never it, get uh, you, you can never get through all the nuances I suppose there's always gonna be more nuance than you can handle yeah well I was gonna say uh counterculture has become commodified and that's why you'll see the pictures of you know thousands of v for vendetta masks coming out of a horrible factory in china like yeah it's it's playing it's like corporate capitalist entities playing on the millennial slash hipster desire for a counterculture yeah Oh Such God, in a way just... that it's becoming the main culture, which is so weird. Yeah, it's really bizarre. And they're sort of playing on it. They're like, oh, look, we understand you at the same time. They're exploiting you for money and like basically having wage mm-hmm. slaves and using sweatshops abroad. And it's horrible. And we do live in the we're part of living in a global culture is that businesses do rule the world because they don't because the, countries can't control them when they're global. And it sort of creates this environment where they're trying to they notice that people is people are noticing what's wrong, so they try and like, oh look, we notice too, but then they're carrying on doing other shit. The idea of like actually the idea of you just of of um, V Vendetta mass being mass produced in like a Chinese factory is sort of the epitome of like fucking dystopia at this point. Yeah. Like this this sort of metaphor that Alan Moore made for like the Thatcher for Thatcherite movements in Britain. And like the Thatcher government, and the way that um, the way that we're being exploited by our government, and the way that the government's controlling us to play on our fears and things like that, and then they're just commercializing it and globalizing it in exactly the way that he was crit- he was critiquing people for it for. Like it's very Thatcher, which is the opposite of what it was about, and I guess mm-hmm. that's part of why Alan Moore hates. V for Vendetta, the movie, and like everything to do with any adaptation of his work, basically. But yeah, which I feel is fair. Yeah, I mean, like to be fair, they like most of them have done a pretty shoddy job. Like V for Vendetta, the movie's nothing compared to the books, the comic book. And like which Watchmen was pretty, that. Watchmen was pretty good. But I don't think you even watched that. And like it's a Zack Snyder movie, so it has some Snyderisms. 
Um, I can't even remember League of Extraordinary Gentlemen at this point. It was a pretty okay movie. It was alright. I remember being okay. Yeah, like it wasn't anything special. It's it was like a weird mashup of a bunch of different stuff, but it was okay. <laughs> yeah, and the Killing Joke was sort of problematic when that came out recently, and that's one of his other big things. Even though he sort of doesn't like it himself. Mm. It's not one that I saw. Yeah, you have to wait till they uh, they until they adapt his Cats and Britain stories, which they never will. Then we'll really get his <laughs> get his coat. <laughs> Uh, I think we've gone a little off the rails, but um, that's yeah. okay. I think I mean, that's, we're, we're the... branching out into movie review criticism now. Yeah, it's true. Whatever the shit this is. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever this fucking thing is. Um, I do, uh, yeah, no, I think the meta commentary like, is useful to have, especially in a movie which does serve so much. It does, you watch it, you're like, wow, this is so thoughtful. And it really, I think, does, will help a generation of children hopefully understand these issues. And hopefully it'll help people understand why they're not, opinions are wrong. But I don't know if that's true. I think people have a really easy time dismissing very obvious pieces of evidence in front of them. And people are very good at missing important messages when they want to. Just either willfully or not. And if they're presented with something like, sort of like the way that the red pill sort of looked at the Matrix. And now it's, and like, you know, like now that the Matrix is made by two closeted trans women. And yet the red pill, the whole red pill thing, which is sort of the using Matrix terminology, is about how masculinity is the best thing and stuff. And women just aren't as good as men. And you need to be th- this toxic masculinity to prove yourself to be a man or no one will respect you. And it's just so backwards to it. And it's still there and still active despite this. And I feel there's a lot of examples of that, of people really taking the wrong way and resting by the... The way that people think about Fight Club as well. The way that people, like, link the masculinity to Fight Club and the way that they sort of miss the whole point of Fight Club is a sort of satire on the way that men think about masculinity. Mm-hmm. But people use this example of how to be a man and stuff because people see what they want to see. And I think that's true for us, too. I think we can look at something like this and see the good messages in it and think that this very useful as a movie and like really thoughtful when for all we know that could most people just saw it thought it was a good kids movie and net will go home and just you know say horrible things about other people well the thing about it is that as a piece of media it's not meant for changing the minds of adults it's yes. meant for giving children a seemingly innocuous framework by which to see that these fairly simple ideas can be quite silly. Yeah. So in that way, I like I think that it's very useful as, you know, it's not overt in its messaging and it can't be. And like, honestly, I didn't even know. I don't think I even knew what the, you know, it, it's a kids movie that's an allegory for racism. Like, I don't even know if I had that much information going into it. I was like, oh, this is the new kids movie, you know, that came out and it's animated. And so if you have kids, it's just natural that they want to see it. And you're like, okay, well, fine. It's a fucking movie about animals. Cool. Watch it. (laughs) And they're absorbing this message without you even realizing it, which is why we care so much about media in general. Like we, as feminists or whatever, we care about it because it can have this influence that we don't necessarily pick up on and is especially troubling in some instances with children so we need more of these like 
you know, Frozen, where the ultimate message of the movie is about, you know, family, and Brave was very similar, it's ultimately about family, and then this one is about friendship and, you know, overcoming adversity and all that kind of thing. So... I appreciate it for those reasons, I suppose. Yeah, I agree. And like movies, they do, they are part of our culture, especially like, and it's been increasingly relevant the more that sort of, that it's already replaced like sort of books as the defining genre, the defining way we absorb the culture. Maybe television's mm-hmm. overtaking it at this point. That's sort of arguable with the rise of Netflix, but we'll see where that goes. It could be televisions moving in that way. But the way that people think is defined by the cultural zeitgeist, and that is partially spread through these movies. And, they'll last a lot longer than the fleeting thoughts of um, the people who are living at that time. You know, people watch more 80s movies than they do, like, relating to pe- what people thought back then, even though it wasn't that long ago. And I mean, a lot of people in the 80s, they were thinking a lot of different things than now, but maybe they don't remember that they thought that way. Mm-hmm. And the way the culture is spread is through these sort of artifacts of our time, the same way that we learn about old ancient cultures through their archaeology or their written records. This is the way that we understand the world around us written in, in entertainment because it is kind of more than that when you get down to it. it is a reflection of how we see the world and if how we see the world is trying to help people understand these topics even if it is through the lens of a fun movie for children like I think that's fantastic like I think like this is the same way that I think Avatar The Last Airbender is really great and that it is a fun story that's enjoyable and very kid-friendly, but at the same time, it's very deep, touches on a lot of important themes, and it's it can make you fucking weep, and it's for kids. Mm-hmm. Like, I think just the term, the putting it, saying something's for kids really does sort of do something weird in Western culture, because we have this picture, like, animation can either be, like, South Park and The Simpsons, where it's, like, vulgar and funny, or it can be for children, and there is no middle ground. So, like, once mm-hmm. it's an animated thing, like, it's, oh, I, oh, I like, uh, you can say, oh, I love Disney, and they'll be like, oh, you're a kid, or, like, oh, I love Pixar, which is somehow, like, acceptable, even though they're the same fucking thing. But, like, mm-hmm. there's something about that, the saying it's for kids and stuff, which does sort of make people think differently about it, and I think that may affect the way that people have been looking at it, even though I think these days... You know, people grew up, people grew up on Disney on these Disney movies, and I think a lot these days they deserve they get a lot more accolades than they used to. That's yeah, that's true. Yeah, I had something I was gonna add in there, and I have no idea what it was. That's okay. <laughs> I lost my train of thought towards the end of that too. <laughs> that's okay. I, I well, I guess uh, it is kind of strange that, I mean, ch- children's movies have always been built with these little things that help adults like not hate what they're going through or like stuff for like five-year-olds not so much like stuff for developing children is not redeemable for most adults yeah but you know the little mermaid you know had its moments uh and you know aladdin had its moments and all these movies have aladdin their little, is, is the moment <laughs> is the moment yeah all these movies have their little winks and nods to the adult audience and I don't know. There are still times, though, when I am asking people, like, oh, have you seen this movie? And they're like, oh, no. And they think that it's weird because I don't have kids. And I'm like, well, it's just a great movie. Like, I don't know what you want from me. Like, it's (laughs) why is it not weird that I watch Rick and Morty, but it is weird that I watch fucking Frozen, which, you know, was this huge, critically acclaimed thing that was hugely culturally influential like why 
is this one thing weird, but this other thing isn't. Like, exactly. just because one is created for me and the other one is just sort of tangentially enjoyable by me. Yeah. I think we, I think we as individuals come into this, come into the world and we have this expectation. We know what we're expected to like and not like. And I think it takes a lot of self-control to let yourself just fucking like what you like. I guess so. Yeah, it takes a little bit of, like, being comfortable with yourself yeah. enough to be, like... Or, or even if you are one of those people who secretly watches kids' movies, it can be hard to just be like, oh, yes, yeah. I am going to now be open about the fact that I like this. Yeah. And some of that can be plagued by sort of toxic masculinity. Um, and I guess I've experienced a little bit of that, but not so much. Like, I don't have so much trouble expressing that I'm interested in things simply because of this reflection of masculinity that I sort of inhabit. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I genuinely, like, I feel like there's baggage with anything like people go oh you can't do that that's for girls that's for boys or that's for kids or that's for whatever and all oh, that music's not for you you know i think i think um i came across this with i really sort of fixed this for myself with music recently well you know like you grow up and you're like oh this isn't the sort of music you're supposed to listen to pop mm-hmm. music is for these people you like if you like uh, other genres of music you have to listen to them exclusively and i think that's you see this in a lot of like alternative subcultures where like you're not allowed to like more than one genre and i think Mm -hmm. we really don't talk about that in terms of other media where like people look down on people for watching anime even though it's just like basically a way of drawing stuff like they tell just the same amount of stories as like the live action stuff but people look down on it because it's weird and fringe and it's only weird and fringe because people have decided it's for nerds or it's for um girls or it's for kids and I think that really limits the way we see our media it's because they're all going to survive long past we are, we are. This is very true. Yeah. I just want to note that we are now getting into more general media criticism and that it's been about an hour and 15 minutes, so it might be good timing to wrap up. Yeah, I was trying to find a way to wrap up from there, but like, there was no, okay. there's always something we'll, else to say. We'll just go with the blunt like yeah inelegant way <laughs> fucking going kids get used to it um, <laughs> this has been fun well, is it at one? least we don't do our like random shutoffs like hello internet does yeah like, well, those are so jarring the abrupt endings to the episodes oh i could end it just now and it'd be perfect though if you just ended after they said that but then we'd have no credits so yeah um, i was about to say you wouldn't be able to say by george gad's music yeah by yeah george gad is th- runaway is our theme song um <laughs> Go buy his stuff. Listen to it on Spotify, Bandcamp. Um, he's got stuff you can buy for the Christmas holidays are coming up. I mean, they're probably already here. Um, so if you want to buy your significant other some independent music, go go check George Gad out on Bandcamp and Spotify and stuff like that. You can't buy on Spotify probably, but that's fine. Um, send us an email, comments, questions, concerns, anything else. Um, transatlanticpod at gmail.com. Twitter, TransATL Podcast, Facebook, Transatlantic Pod. Come talk to us, um, drop us a line, and let us know if you enjoy the movie stuff, if you think we're dumb, if you think we're wrong, and we will tell you that we're not wrong, but we might listen to your concerns. Uh, <laughs> we might be wrong. If we're generally wrong, we'll apologize. Um, yeah, I think that's it. Thank you for listening nerd to out. our. Nerd out over this movie with me. Yeah, come come nerd out with us. Um, let, let us um, go in peace to love and serve the Lord, as they say in mass. Um, Merry Christmas, everyone. I mean, we'll probably see you before then anyway. 
but um, yeah, happy times. Um, that's not a thing to really say. Okay, goodbye. <laughs>